Hello and welcome to the Mad On Air podcast. My name is Alia and in this very first episode, I'm going to be talking about type 2 diabetes mellitus. Type 2 diabetes is a common condition that involves the inability of the body to regulate and utilize glucose as fuel. According to the National Diabetes Registry Report of 2013 to 2019 by the Ministry of Health Malaysia, on a global scale, 463 million people live with diabetes. And dauntingly, 18.3% of Malaysia's adult population, which is equivalent to 3.9 million people, are living with diabetes. And type 2 diabetes mellitus accounts for 99.3% of diabetes cases. Let's start by talking about the pathogenesis of this disease. Unlike type 1 diabetes mellitus, where the body does not make insulin, in type 2 diabetes mellitus, the body does actually make insulin. However, there's a defect in how the insulin is being secreted and the action of the insulin itself. Risk factors that may precipitate this include modifiable and non-modifiable ones. So risk factors that you do have control over and risk factors that you do not have control over. Genetic susceptibility, a strong family history and age are non-modifiable risk factors. While modifiable risk factors include a sedentary lifestyle, obesity and a high caloric diet for a long period of time. Non-modifiable risk factors, such as genes and a strong family history. So these things, they render one to develop insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is basically this condition in which the body's tissues do not respond to insulin in the way that they should. So normally, in a healthy human being, insulin acts as this gateway to allow glucose to enter body tissues, mainly liver, muscle, and also adipose tissues. Therefore, in insulin resistance, less glucose is actually able to enter these tissues to provide fuel for normal physiological functions to take place. But the human body is this intelligent thing. Beta cells of the pancreas will actually try harder to produce more insulin to combat this matter. However, after a while, the beta cells get tired and they get overworked. And this does not help that with aging, mass of pancreatic beta cells actually decrease. So glucose starts to accumulate in the blood, thus leading to hyperglycemia or raised blood sugar levels. As for modifiable risk factors, years of leading a sedentary lifestyle coupled with a high caloric diet may lead to obesity, in which fat accumulates, especially at the abdominal area. This is known as visceral obesity, fat around the viscera or intra-abdominal organs. The presence of more visceral fat actually increases inflammatory mediators, hormones, and also cytokines that are involved in the development of insulin resistance. But not to forget, some people, they have genes that predispose them to become obese. And that is also something that we cannot modify. So, how do these patients typically present? Some type 2 diabetes patients, they can present asymptomatic and diagnosed by an incidental finding of raised plasma glucose on a routine blood test. As for symptomatic patients, the signs and symptoms often seen are associated with hyperglycemia. 
One of the ways the body tries to compensate for the high blood glucose levels is by osmotic diuresis. That is, there will be an increased urination due to high glucose being filtered by the kidneys. Glycosuria occurs when glucose levels in the glomerular filtrate exceeds the reabsorptive capacity of renal tubules, thus also drawing more water into urine. Therefore, polyuria of increased urination and also polydipsia or increased thirst are the most common telltales of this pathology. Some might even present with lethargy and also dizziness due to dehydration secondary to massive fluid loss via polyuria. And also, as glucose is not able to enter cells to generate ATP, triglycerides are then being broken down into free fatty acids to generate alternative fuel. Thus, weight loss can also be expected in a type 2 diabetic patient. Another common manifestation of these patients, they might also have blurring of vision. When conducting a physical examination on a patient whom you suspect to have type 2 diabetes, it's important to measure the patient's BMI and also waist circumference, as obesity is one of the most common risk factors of developing insulin resistance. The probability of the patient having metabolic syndrome can also be assessed in this way. Also, it's important to check for the patient's mental status, as hyperglycemia can sometimes cause confusion and drowsiness. Another thing hyperglycemia can cause? Poor wound healing. And that's why a lot of diabetic patients, they have non-healing foot ulcers. And lastly, acanthosis nigricans is a marker of insulin resistance, in which there is dark and velvety discoloration at skin creases. According to the American Diabetes Association, there are a few investigations that should be done before diagnosing someone with type 2 diabetes mellitus. So these are, firstly, a fasting blood glucose level of at least 7 millimoles per litre. Number two, a two-hour plasma glucose during 75 gram OGTT reading of at least 11.1 millimoles per litre. And thirdly, a HbA1c level of at least 6.5%. In the absence of symptoms, the three tests should be confirmed with repeated testing. However, if the patient does present with the classical symptoms of hyperglycemia, a single random blood glucose of at least 11.1 millimoles per liter is sufficient to confirm the diagnosis. One of the reasons why diabetes is such a serious condition is because of the complications. Chronic complications of diabetes can be divided into microvascular and also macrovascular. Under microvascular, Diabetic retinopathy is the most common cause of adult-onset blindness among those aged 20 to 74 years old. In addition to that, diabetic nephropathy holds the number one spot for patients needing dialysis in end-stage renal failure. As for macrovascular complication, the development of ischemic heart disease and cerebrovascular disease are extremely common among diabetics. According to the National Heart Association, 65% of diabetics die of some form of heart disease or stroke. Now, let's talk management. According to the Academy of Medicine of Malaysia, 
the most common glucose-lowering therapy prescribed is metformin, followed by sulfonylureas. Lately, SGLT2 inhibitors have been very widely prescribed because of their positive impact on cardiac and renal outcomes, on top of also improving glycemic control. In more progressive stage of disease, insulin is given either alone or in combination with other oral glucose-lowering drugs. Besides that, antihypertensive therapies such as ACE inhibitors and calcium channel blockers and also lipid-lowering agents such as statins are prescribed as well in the presence of metabolic syndrome. There are a very small percentage of diabetic patients, the lucky ones, who are able to opt for diet alone as their glucose-lowering therapy. If you were to look up the definition of diabetes mellitus, it would just simply say that diabetes mellitus is the most common cause of hyperglycemia, which is defined as a plasma glucose of at least 7 millimoles per liter. However, it's important to differentiate the different types of diabetes mellitus. It is vital to differentiate between type 1 and type 2 diabetes mellitus especially, as both of them require different managements. Type 1 diabetes mellitus is an autoimmune condition in which the presence of autoantibodies inhibit insulin production. These patients, they often present young and acutely symptomatic and also very lean. As I've mentioned before, type 2 diabetic patients can present asymptomatic and the disease itself has an insidious onset, thus presenting at a later age. Obesity is also an important risk factor for type 2 diabetes mellitus, and they would test negative for autoantibodies. A common acute complication of type 1 diabetes mellitus is unprovoked diabetic ketoacidosis, or DKA for short. However, DKA can also occur in type 2 diabetes mellitus. However, it would be secondary to infection or any other triggers. Let's test on what you have learned from this topic. We have prepared three questions relating to type 2 diabetes mellitus. So, first question. A 50-year-old man with underlying dyslipidemia came to you as the general practitioner for a routine follow-up. As screening, you did a random capillary blood glucose. The glucometer showed a reading of 12 millimoles per liter. On further history, he denies any lethargy, polyuria, polydipsia, or blurring of vision. He was also not aware of previous diagnosis of diabetes mellitus. What will be the most appropriate next course of action? Question 2. Mr. X was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes mellitus recently with a fasting plasma glucose of 8.5 millimoles per liter and a HbA1c of 8.5%. He has underlying ischemic heart disease, currently on bisoprolol, 2.5 mgOD. He has a height of 160 cm and a waist circumference of 100 cm. Fundoscopy examination also showed several heart exudates and cotton wool spots. Which of the following drugs is not suitable to be prescribed? And last question. A 45-year-old man whose mother, father, brother, and uncle all had a history of heart disease asked his physician about ways to reduce his risk of developing coronary artery disease. 
The patient is 171 cm tall, weighs 91 kg, and has a blood pressure of 125 over 80 mmHg. His blood glucose concentration is 10 millimoles per liter. Which of the following is the best dietary advice to give this patient? So, for the full questions and answers, you guys can go on and check out our Instagram page, UMMBBS underscore quiz, and have a go, test yourselves. In summary, type 2 diabetes mellitus is mainly due to insulin resistance as a result of abnormal insulin secretion and action. The disease has an insidious course and some may present asymptomatic or symptomatic with typical telltales like polyuria, polydipsia, and blurring of vision. Some important risk factors contributing to this disease would be obesity, a sedentary lifestyle, and a strong family history. Macrovascular and microvascular complications are common in this disease, which are attributed to the hyperglycemic state of the patient. For management, the most common glucose-lowering therapy prescribed in Malaysia is metformin, followed by sulfonylureas. Lastly, it is important to differentiate between type 1 and also type 2 diabetes, as both will require different management plans. This marks the end of the very first episode of the Mad on Air podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and see you in the next episode on asthma. Goodbye!